You can now hear Movie Heaven Movie Hell on Stitcher. Stitcher is radio on demand. Listen anytime, anywhere. Stitcher is an award-winning free app that lets you listen to all your favourite shows, plus discover from 20,000 news, entertainment and sports shows. You can also create your own custom playlists. Stitcher is available on iOS, Android, Nook, iPad and in over 4 million car dashboards. It's on demand and it's on the go. No downloading, no syncing, no wasted memory. You can stream your favourite podcasts from Stitcher. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. And please, leave us a review and rating on Stitcher. Thank you. Welcome to Movie Heaven, Movie Hell with me, Simon Aiken, and... And I'm Keith Isles, and we're both independent filmmakers who enjoy discussing movies and related topics. And for this podcast special, uh, we're very pleased to have a a guest. Uh, You know I always like it when we have guests on this show. Um, We have award-winning British writer and host of the Unjustly Maligned podcast, amongst others, Anthony Johnston. So uh, welcome to the show, Anthony. Uh, hello. It's lovely to be here. <laughs> Good. It's lovely to have you on. Um, so uh, just for the benefit of our listeners, Anthony, if you could just uh, start perhaps by telling us a little bit about yourself, um, what you do, what your interests are and some of the projects that you're working on, that would be great. Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, as you said, my name is Anthony Johnston. I am a writer primarily of comics and video games, although I also write books. Um, I am, at the moment, probably best known for a series called Wasteland, which is a a big, epic, post-apocalyptic comic series that ran for uh, 60 issues over the course of uh, almost 10 years um, with Oni Press. However, uh, in a few months' time, uh, that will change (laughs) because um, in July, a movie based on one of my graphic novels will be released uh, called The Coldest City, starring Charlize Theron. Um, oh, congratulations. Thank Fantastic. you. Which, and that, that's a Cold War spy thriller, also published by Oni Press. Um, and so I have no doubt that when that comes out, that is what most people will know me for. If you're a, a gamer, um, you probably have heard of the game Dead Space. I scripted the very first Dead Space game uh, and a couple of the spin-offs as well and wrote the uh, comic book spin-offs of that too. Uh, I worked on Daredevil co-wrote Daredevil for a while with Andy Deagle at Marvel. Um, I write the Alex Ryder graphic novels, which, uh, which are adaptations of Anthony Horowitz's uh, YA teenage boy spy novels, and a whole bunch more besides. And yes, I also uh, record podcasts, and I make music, and, you know, all manner of goblinry. A, bu- a busy guy then, to say the <laughs> least. <laughs> I, I like to keep busy. Yeah, I'm a bit of a workaholic, it has been said. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, obviously, I know of you. The reason I reached out to uh, to get you involved in the podcast is I know you from a um, uh, a podcast called uh, Unjustly Maligned, and yes. um, listen to quite a lot of those. And and often you 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 deal with a lot of films and subjects that myself and Simon regularly talk about um, here on Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. So I just thought it would be a really, you know, good opportunity to. Um, 
to, to, to sort of have you on the other side of the fence a little bit and, and <laughs> for you to get to talk about some of these movies. But um, you are involved with some some other podcasts and, and networks as well, aren't you? Yeah, well, Unjustly Maligned is, uh, that's my show and that's on the Incomparable Network, which is a network of basically nerdy and geeky shows about pop culture. Um, I also occasionally appear on the main show of The Incomparable, the main weekly show, which uh, doesn't have a set subject. It just, you know, it's just talking about something that a panel of people from the network are interested in, be that, a you know, a movie or a series of books or a TV show or whatever. Um, I also appear on the uh, the game show, which is a lighthearted uh, fortnightly um, literally, you know, sort of like playing game shows and playing board games over Skype and that sort of thing uh, on the same network. And then I also do my other show of my own is called Thrash It Out. And oh, that right. is uh, a heavy metal show um, where my uh, co-host Brian Latendry and I basically take it in turns to make each other, make the other person listen to a heavy metal album. And then we talk about it and then we argue about it um, because we both love heavy metal, but we come at it from very, very different angles. He's very much in the sort of 80s hair, hard rock and thrash stuff. And I'm very much in the kind of grungy motorhead, Black Sabbath, Slipknot kind of area. So it's been, uh, <laughs> you know, it's an interesting show sort of from our different perspectives. But that is obviously music. So nothing at all to do with movies. <laughs> Right, right. No, fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, um, uh, you, you know, you know, un unjustly maligned. I find that kind of um, unique uh, in so much as it, it, it's really good to to have people talk about. Uh, I know it's not only movies and TV shows, but the ones I tend oh, but to there's listen a lot to of, are. But yeah, the, the, well, there's, the thing is, movies, like it or not, movies are the preeminent storytelling medium of the late 20th century there's you know there's no you can argue about that you can rail against it you can say that it's a bad thing or a good thing but there is no getting around it it is the truth um and so inevitably a lot of people that i invite onto the show want to talk about movies you know they mm -hmm. if they because the premise of the show which we i just realized we haven't actually explained <laughs> for people the premise of the show is that i invite a guest on and they talk about something that they feel is unjustly maligned as in uh, other people hate it, but they think it's great. Or most people simply don't know about it. They don't feel it's had the exposure that it should have done. Or, you know, sort of, it was terrible. People thought it was terrible at the time, but in retrospect, it's actually, you know, pretty good, um, you know, and so on. And yeah, most of the time people want to talk about movies because like I say, that is, that's the preeminent storytelling form of our time. Um, so what I do is I try and space out the non-movie episodes. So we get a few movie episodes in a, in a bunch and then we'll get something about a board game and then a few more movie episodes and then something about a band and, and so, you know, or a TV show or uh, a video game or whatever. And yeah, so I, I do try and space them out a bit, but they are mostly about movies. Cool. Excellent. Um, and of course, uh, on the incomparable one recently, uh, I, you know, you had a pretty bumper episode on, um, on Rogue One, which, uh, which was very yeah. interesting. <laughs> well, the, the incomparable has a bit of a tradition of, uh, you know, doing hours and hours of podcasting about Star Wars because we're all yeah. huge Star Wars fans, you know, of course um, we are. to the point where, uh, we even do episodes dissecting trailers, uh, and for Rogue One, actually, for the second Rogue One trailer, uh, I hosted a 90-minute show 
about, and in fact, you know, it was a two-hour show about like a 90-second trailer. <laughs> <laughs> which, which, then, which ended up not being used in any of the movies I know, anyway, right? <laughs> I know. And then, yeah, and then another two hours about the actual movie itself, which, yes, featured very few of the shots from those trailers. <laughs> yeah. No, it's very interesting. I have a, a question about that to, to you guys. Do you want to see the original cut of this film? Or are you or are you happy with how Rogue One turned up? Because I'm interested in seeing the original cut. I'm very interested in seeing it. I don't like. I acknowledge that it may not actually be better, and that all the sort of reshoots and re-edits and stuff may actually have been, you know, all for the good. I won't deny that possibility. But I would love to see it just to see what it was like because there are. Have you seen the supercut somebody's done? There are forty-three shots across mm. the Rogue One trailers that are not in all pieces of dialogue that are not in the final movie. That's a lot of shots, you know? Yes. I would love yeah. to see what happened to them all. Yeah, no, I mean, same here. Much as I enjoyed Rogue One, which is obviously a whole other podcast, so I won't go too much <laughs> into that. But as much, I'm sure we'll cover it sometime this year. But uh, as much as I, I enjoyed it, um, I would also love to, of course, you know, see, see the the alternate versions as well. So, So Disney, if you're listening... Release it on Blu-ray. I mean, we know you're double dip or triple dip or quadruple dip with this anyway. So release all the uh, <laughs> the stuff we haven't seen as well. <laughs> I suspect I suspect we won't see that for some years. I think yeah. it, they'll wait five or ten years until it's completely safe, basically, before they release all of that stuff. I, I think the, I the best you'll get, and it won't be everything, is that they'll have uh, like a, a whole deleted scenes section where um, we know we've... Um, episode seven with Force Awakens. That there's stuff that they still haven't shown us. I mean, there was a, a character who appears as the planets are about to be destroyed. Uh, a, a young uh, woman who's sort of quite eminent in that one shot, who seems to have a whole story that was completely cut out of the film, and yet has... oh, the young woman. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. The, yeah. the young black woman. I remember yeah. that thinking like, what? They're focusing on her a lot, yeah. and we have yeah. no idea who she is. Yes, supposedly yeah. there is a storyline with her that was uh, totally cut out, and she's not appeared in any of the deleted scenes yet. No, wow. that's true. That's true because I got the um, when they released the 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 three D version. Um, I bought it just so I could get more extras and and the commentary from JJ. And um, the uh, they did have some more deleted scenes than the first release, but like absolutely, like you said, Simon, nothing nothing around that subplot whatsoever so um funnily yes, enough more to come <laughs> funnily enough i did exactly the same thing like i bought the uh blu-ray when it first came out and what a sucker i feel now for that because the the extras on that are pretty poor pretty yes. thin uh, and so yes i even though i don't have a 3d setup and i have no interest in ever getting a 3d setup i still bought the 3d version of the movie um or did I buy it? Oh, I confess, I may actually have put it on my wish list and had somebody else buy it for me. But either way, <laughs> I, I used up a wish list slot, as it were, um, uh, just so that I could get all of those extras. And as you say, the commentary and stuff, because really that stuff should have been on the first release. And oh, now, now I've been burned. There's no way I'm going to buy the Rogue One, the first Rogue One disc that comes out now. I'm going to wait until they release the good one, which is clearly going to follow six, seven months later. Yeah. Yeah, like the old days where you had to wait. There you go. And I'm dr I'm drinking from my Death Star mug 
as, as we record <laughs> this. Uh, I've totally bought into all of it, as you can see. There you go. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, I am sure we will have episodes uh, dedicated and devoted to Star Wars. But but for this one, mm. what we decided to do, because, um, Anthony, you, you, you know, you've you've had some experience, uh, you, you know, in, in, in the comic book industry uh, and indeed, you know, you're getting a film made, etc., which is amazing. Um, what we sort of put to you was was for you to pick your your movie heaven and movie hell for uh, comic book adaptations, comic book movies, whether they're based on superheroes, um, you know, Marvel, DC, whatever. And, um, you know, these are always things that I guess we all sort of grew up in the same era where all of the, you know, that, that, that era, that age, um, where we grew up with this stuff. And Simon and I bring, bring these things up a lot in the podcast. And I know in a lot of your your podcast you discuss um you know superhero movies etc so um we thought that might be uh might be interesting for tonight's topic yeah and uh it's i mean obviously being you know in the comics industry movie adaptations is something that is you can't escape you know uh it's it's become a big part of comics as a pop culture phenomenon um and that is mostly focused on superheroes you're right i will uh, I will sort of go to bat for non-superhero comic book movies. And in fact, I wrote a, a rant about this on Medium not so long ago um, called When You Say You're Not Into Comic Book Movies, You're Lying, You Just Don't Know It. Uh, <laughs> because it's become the case just like with comics. Superheroes have taken over the uh, sort of movie comics industry. Uh, just as they have this, the paper comics industry. And so when people say, oh, I, I don't like comics, what they actually mean is I don't like superheroes. Um, when in fact there are dozens, literally dozens of great movies that are based on comics that are nothing to do with superheroes. And people just don't know because it's not superheroes. So they just don't assume that it could possibly be based on a comic. You know, Road to Perdition, uh, History mm. of Violence, Persepolis, Ghost Town, um, yeah, all of these, uh, all of these movies are, you know, they're great movies, and they're, yeah, just like based on comics, and nobody realizes because they don't feature guys in skin tight lycra punching one another. <laughs> Absolutely, no, yeah, I I indeed. <laughs> one of my favorite uh, films uh, is Snowpiercer. I still think it's a disgrace that that film is still not available in this country. Is it not available at all? Oh wow! No. Not at all. It's it's never been sh uh, shown here. There's no DVD or Blu-ray. It's not on, not on Netflix. Um, how I watched it was I, I had access to American Netflix for a while, and uh, I watched it on there. Really loved it. But oh, wow. whatever argument the director had with uh, the Weinstein's, it's kind of stopped it from being shown over here. It's such a oh, shame because it is because it's it's a great film and it's you know. You know, especially the fact that we lost John Hurt, and you know he plays yep. he plays such a big part in it. Oh, I just realised I said Ghost Town. I meant Ghost World. Okay, I, I don't know. I don't know why oh, I was yeah. thinking Ghost Town. Funboy <laughs> 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 yeah. Three in my head or something. Um, but no, I meant Ghost World, of course, which is adapted from Daniel Clow's like amazing graphic novel. Um, so yeah, as I say, there's all these movies that people don't realise are based on comics just because they don't feature superheroes. However, all of that <laughs> said, because 
superheroes have kind of taken over the blockbuster movie industry. I have chosen two uh, capes movies, as I derogatorily call them, <laughs> um, <laughs> even though neither of them actually feature capes uh, for my movie heaven and movie hell. So, you know, but I just okay. wanted to I, I, I wanted to give that preamble so listeners don't assume that I'm one of those guys who just as you know, thinks that comics equals superheroes because I actually almost like 90% plus of my work in comics is not superheroes. So I'm very much not yeah. that guy. No, don't, don't, don't worry, Anthony. I, 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 I caveat the hell out of everything as well. So, uh, <laughs> so li, li, listeners of this show are, are well used to that. So um, <laughs> no problem at all. Uh, I mean, before we get on to your actual picks, um, do you want to talk a little bit about... Um, you know what what comic books and, and, and movies or tv shows or whatever based on comic books have, have meant to you over the course of your life because 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 like i said i guess we're all of a similar age group and grew up in a in a similar era um and i, and I just wondered sort of how you you sort of got into it and what 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 you liked and were inspired by uh growing up well if you did grow up <laughs> I, yeah if i ever did grow up um that's kind of the only comic book movie if you like that really had a, a you know a big impact on me when i was uh, a kid were the first two superman movies uh-huh. uh actually no the first three i'll include superman three as well um yeah the 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 you know the christopher reeve richard donner superman movies uh were a you know a fairly big part of my childhood because they're such great movies i recently rewatched um a couple of them for yeah and in fact superman 3 for unjustly maligned um and they're really great movies you know yes they're they're old-fashioned and they're a bit cheesy and the special effects you know are kind of a bit poor now we look back at them but they are such great movies and they have such great characters they're so well performed they have such great heart they're funny they're genuinely funny um yeah you know those were those were a big part of my childhood but to be honest that's kind of it until you get to uh, the Tim Burton Batman movies. Uh-huh. Um, and by that time, I was, al- I was already like set to leave high school. So, you know, my childhood, my actual childhood growing up was mostly spent in terms of comics reading British adventure comics like 2000 AD and Eagle and Scream and Crisis and stuff like that. Um, and one of the things that I always loved about those comics was that they a weren't about superheroes um but b also featured constantly new stories there was always a turnover a massive churn of new stories um so and this is something that it's i mean you guys will get it but sometimes when i'm talking to americans it's it's difficult there's a bit of a cultural gap because if you're american if you're my age in american and you grew up reading comics you basically grew up reading monthly books where mm-hmm. The you know Spider Man or Batman or Superman or whoever was there every single month for years, years. The same character in the same comic for years and decades at a time, and that just isn't how our industry was in the UK. So we have very different outlooks in terms of the idea of following a character for that length of time. So that always creates a bit of a sort of cultural gap, if you like. Um, and then yeah, we came to the Burton Batman movies, and those I did like the first two. Uh, again, we just did Batman Returns <laughs> on Unjustly Maligned. Uh, the first two Burton Batman movies I loved, especially Batman Returns. I thought that was that's still, for me, one of Burton's best movies. Um, but again, they didn't have a lot to do with the comic. 
Like, if anything, I feel that the the Christopher Reeve Superman movies probably had more in common with the Superman comics in terms of feel, not the specific storylines, but in terms of their feel and their approach to the character than the Burton Batman movies did, which were a kind of weird hybrid between, at the time you had, Frank Miller had just kind of revitalized Batman with The Dark Knight Returns, but you also had, everybody remembered Adam West, of course, you know, in the campy Batman in the 60s, but then you also had the sort of Neil Adams quasi-realistic Batman of the 1980s, and all these things were kind of, the early 1980s, I should say, and all these things were kind of clashing together, and what came out of it was this weird hybridized Batman in the movies that's kind of dark, but not actually mature and still kind of cheesy. And, you know, and part of that is down to Tim Burton's filmmaking style, obviously. So that was, that was very odd. And, you know, again, that was kind of it, you know, and those petered off obviously because of the, they got terrible towards the end. And once again, it was this, Oh, well, nobody wants to see superheroes on the big screen until we got to, what was it? Sort of X-Men really was what Mm. revitalized, uh, you know, that sort of nascent interest in the industry. And by then, to be honest, I was a fully grown adult and, you know, it had a job and everything. So (laughs) we're well past childhood by that point. (laughs) Yeah. Which kind of, you know, always struck me to be kind of funny that the X-Men was the sort of the the return of it because the the first X-Men film was just awful. I mean, it wasn't a very Um, good film. What? What? I wouldn't wouldn't say it was awful, but it's not not that, that. Well, it's not that good in retrospect. Um, Oh, I don't know. I love it. Really? Oh, you don't like the first X-Men? No? No, okay. well, because <laughs> I, I like the setup, but then, the, you know, the, the whole sort of idea of trying to turn uh, people into mutants and the whole thing, uh, it, we all think it's Wolverine, and then, of course, it's not, it's Rogue. And then the, the, that's that just that line where um, Jean Grey goes, I know what his plan is, and then just leads straight into the... I thought, wow, even at the time, I thought, this is really lazy writing, you know? <laughs> it, nobody nobody figured for anything out. Oh, I just know his plan, and then they off, off they go to um, the Statue of Liberty, have a big fight, and then kind of set up for the next film. I mean, I worked... Well, at, I, I kind worked, of a small fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I worked at a cinema at the time, so I, I got to see it quite a few times, and I have to say, I wasn't I wasn't too impressed with it. So I always... I do find it kind of comical in some sense that this was kind of the uh, the kicking off point for what we have now. I think my main issue with the first X-Men movie is that it kind of looks like a TV show. Uh, it's, it's not... Apart from a few of the scenes in the mansion, mostly... But once you get to sort of action shots and stuff, it just feels like it feels like a high budget TV show rather than and it was a very high budget movie at the time. Mm. Uh, Whereas and I think they got that right on X-Men 2, actually, uh, which is not one of my picks. But I will say that X-Men 2 was, you know, at the time I thought was the best comic book superhero movie that anybody had made because they it did actually, it felt epic and big and looked like a movie and had a much better storyline uh, than the first one. And yeah, you know, that I thought was really good. But I agree, the first one was a bit shaky. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, for, for, from my perspective with the whole comic book thing, um, as, as a child, um, I didn't really sort of grow up particularly a bit, a bit the point you were making about the difference with America. Uh, I didn't grow up reading comic books regularly. I, I would I would usually get bought maybe 
an annual at Christmas and maybe a sort of trade paperback special in the some you know in the school summer holidays or something but other than that I, I you know I wasn't getting weekly comics if I was it was it was like the Star Wars ones or whatever by that point but um but it was always it was always movies and television that were my conduit into comic books really it was the other way around for me um so absolutely you know I, I talk a lot on on these podcasts about my my fondness of the Christopher Reeve Superman movies growing up you know just the same as you've just said but also on television at the time we had like um you know the, the incredible hulk um you, you know wonder woman spider-man you, you know so it was on oh. tv in that era as well so i kind of used to be into superhero stuff because of the tv shows more than more than the comic books if that makes sense so i kind of did it that way around you know now that you've <laughs> mentioned it yeah i i'd actually completely forgotten but you're right i grew up in that same era and i did not so much the Spider-Man TV show I always thought was well dodgy. Uh, that's just like, you know, not good. Um, but Wonder Woman, I actually did used to quite enjoy Wonder Woman and The Incredible Hulk, actually. I would say of all the, of those three, The Incredible Hulk is probably the one that I have the strongest memories of. I remember, you know, enjoying watching that as a kid and, and enjoying it. Just, I'm not sure if I even knew that he came from comic books. Um you know, when I was watching that series, because I was quite young, but I yeah. do remember enjoying it. Yeah, that was, yeah, you know, so I'd forgotten about that. So thank yeah. you for reminding me, because I no, did well, enjoy we, those. We, yeah, we were we were actually lucky enough to have Kenneth Johnson, who was the, um, uh, you know, cr producer and developer and director of, of that TV series and the, and, uh, the pilot movie, etc. We had him as a guest on one oh, of these awesome. movie heaven movie hell episodes and he, he he sort of talked us talked us through that whole process and working with stan lee and um uh you, you know all of that stuff which was which was pretty interesting but 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 you know i i, I did i absolutely loved that show as a, as a kid um along with the superman movies and then of course um you, you, you know yes yes Spy, spider-man uh, TV series, we could almost do a whole podcast on that, uh, but, 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 but agree that that hasn't aged well at all. And of course, um, the Wonder Woman series, I probably like for all the wrong reasons nowadays, um, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. Uh, but yes, yeah. so <laughs> Linda Carter was amazing. <laughs> and and uh, let's not forget that uh, in the 90s, we had a, a bit of a renaissance with superhero TV shows with the likes of um, uh, Lois and Clark, uh, The Flash, uh, trying to think, was there any others sort of around that time? I do, mm, I do, not, a, not many. There weren't a whole lot. But I, I, I wasn't, yeah. I was never into stuff like Lois and Clark. Did they do? I remember they made some movies of The Flash. Did they do a TV show as well? Yes, it was. Yeah, but they, the, yeah. the, the videos were actually episodes put together as like double bills. So you had like an, an, oh, a 90 minute pilot yeah. and then. <laughs> But I mean, you Mark know, Hamill was the trickster. And exactly. Whatever, yeah. In, yeah. In, in, in right, those, yeah. Right. They, they were released for sort of international um, sales and whatever as, as sort of oh. TV movies and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. And of, <laughs> of course, we also had the um, Batman animated series yes. in the 90s, which was, you know, directly spun out of the Burton uh, Batman movies. And that was excellent. I mean, that mm. was fantastic. And then for the um, for the slightly younger crowd, you also had the JLU cartoons which were much bigger in the states than they were over here uh the justice league cartoons which um the late Dwayne mcduffie was 
instrumental in developing, I believe, or at least certainly shepherded, you know, s- several seasons of. Because um, I know I know a few people who were involved in that, and you know, they had lovely, great things to say about Dwayne, especially when he sadly, you know, passed away much too young. Um, so that was so. Yeah, nineties was. You're right. It was better, more like TV. Mm. Was the sort of better home for superheroes. Although you know, some people would argue that that's still the case now. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, maybe not so much. It's it's kind of ironic that Marvel is absolutely winning the box office. You know, the you know the features. Uh, yeah. For superheroes, but DC is kicking Marvel's ass on the TV, TV. side. Yeah, no, it's yeah. funny. That's a point. That's a point. It's, it's interesting you say that because that's a point I always make when I'm having these geeky conversations with my various friends about, about the superhero stuff and the fact that you know Warner Brothers and DC Entertainment, you know, um, they haven't quite got uh, got the, the the movies right yet with what they're you know they're obviously trying to catch up with the marvel cinematic universe however uh you know greg berlanti productions on the on the television side of things are absolutely sort of kicking ass with um with uh you know the arrow the flash uh legends of tomorrow and supergirl to the point that it was very entertaining over this past christmas they actually had a four-way crossover episode with all of those characters (laughs) and you know what i thought to myself Considering this is done on a television budget and schedule, um, it was pretty good. You, you know, it, it was almost better than some of the movies that, that DC have been churning out, you know. And you think what a huge budget and amount of time they have to develop those things, you know. Well, and don't so forget Gotham as well. And Gotham, yes, of course. Which, is, which, which I mean, is obviously wouldn't have been part show. of that crossover. But is yeah, is, you know, love it or hate it, you can't deny that Gotham is an interesting take on how to do a Batman TV series. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it, it is interesting because because the, the, the MCU stuff on, on, the, on the, the small screen, um, whereas I like the, the series they've had on Netflix, like the, the, the Daredevil and the Jessica Jones the shows, etc. Yeah. yeah, they're great. But I have to admit, I, I've, I watched the first two seasons of... Um, uh, agents of silly as i call it uh, agents of <laughs> agents of shield and uh i just yeah i'm i'm not i wasn't a fan of that at all i didn't think it worked because uh, it was trying to obviously tie in with the movies all the time and it and it kind of felt a bit labored although i see for the new season they've got they bought Ghost Rider into the mix or something, which is which is bonkers. But there you go. <laughs> mm. I, I have to say yeah. though, if uh, if it, the Netflix stuff was actually on mainstream TV, I don't think we would say that DC was kicking Marvel's ass. I would say that Marvel was competing with them. But because Agents of Shields is their only TV show that's available on terrestrial TV. Their only network show, yeah. Yeah, it's... Yeah, well, yeah. an Agent Carter, isn't it? Have they got an Agent Carter show They still? did, but they cancelled. No, 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 they cancelled. It was cancelled, yeah. It was cancelled. Yeah. Oh, did that get cancelled? It got cancelled, oh, yeah. Love, love Hayley Atwell. <laughs> I, I think I think it was only two seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that we lasted as well. Um, I think... Is, is season two the one that ends with uh, uh, the scientist woman who... One of the two... 
the couple whose name I can never remember which one's which, um, gets sucked into the the living stone. Oh, Fitzsimmons. Yes. Yeah. They're, is she is she is Fitz or is she Simmons? Others. Oh, I have no yeah. idea. She's, she's <laughs> quite fit, I think. <laughs> she, she gets she gets sucked into the 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 big sort of alien living stone thing. And honestly, yeah. at that point, I was like, oh god. And I think that was the last thing. That's the last episode I watched. Um, yeah, I, I think that's it, as far as I got. Well it it seems to have given almost everybody on the show superpowers now, which actually turned me off because part of the reason I started watching it to start with was this idea that like the premise is, okay, we're ordinary people who have to deal with superhero, superpowered people. Um, mm. And now all of a sudden they've all got superpowers. So it's like, well, now you're just another superpowered show. You know, where's the fun in that? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> My God, we could talk for hours about this stuff, <laughs> couldn't we? But, uh, but I regularly I, do. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, but I suppose we'd better get on to. Uh, so, so Anthony, what what's your pick for um, movie heaven? Uh, All right. Under so, this topic. So, my pick for movie heaven is the first Iron Man movie from two thousand and eight, uh, and I've picked this. Not it is the start of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but that's not why I've picked it. Um, and not because it's my favorite superhero movie. It is up there. Absolutely. But as I just mentioned, X-Men two still ranks as one of my favorite superhero movies as well. And so does Batman returns. So, you know, it's up there, but that's not why I've picked it. Why I've picked it as heaven is one simple reason. It was the first modern superhero movie to focus on being a good action movie that just happened to be about a superhero rather than treating it like a B movie because, Oh, it's a superhero. So everything's got to be a bit campy and cheesy because it's comic books, you know, um, they just completely jettisoned that approach. And even the X-Men movies had suffered from that. You know, there was this weird on the one hand, they rejected lots of stuff from the comics, but on the other hand, they were quite slavish to other parts of it and it didn't work. Whereas, uh, John Favreau, to his credit, and you know the other people involved as well. Favreau's talked spoken a lot about how the first Iron Man movie was very much a collaboration with lots of people pitching in on you know getting the plot and the action and stuff right, and then the actors, a lot of the actors actually improvising their own lines because while they were shooting, they'd fi- they'd storyboarded everything, but they didn't have a script. <laughs> so, oh, <what? laughs> they, so they knew the blocking and everything for all of the scenes. They knew exactly how the movie would play out, but they effectively had it in treatment form plus storyboards. They didn't have a final script. Um, so I'm going to say Favreau throughout, but, you know, really I take that to mean Favreau and everybody else involved in the movie. Favreau focused on making a good movie on you know, and as I say, it just happened to feature a guy called Tony Stark who makes a powered suit of armor and calls himself Iron Man. Rather than, you can imagine how this film would have come about if it had been made in the late 90s, you know? It would have been all about how cool the suit was and, you know, like the the cheesy powers and there would have been some terrible dialogue in there, no doubt. And he probably would have been forced to wear a cape over the back of his jetpack, and you know, it just would have been terrible. Um, and it was a revelation. It was what many of us in the industry had been saying for years: like, please, just make a good movie. Forget about trying to be slavish to the comics, or forget about rejecting the comics because that you think that they're childish. You know, just make a good movie that features 
one of these comic characters. And that's exactly what the first Iron Man movie did, I thought. Um, it's, I have always said that you can divide... I say, I've, I've always said, I say now, I've said since Iron Man came out, that you can divide superhero movies into two eras. Well, three, I guess, because you've got, you've got the sort of the very distant past. You've got the Batman 1966, the Donna Reeve Superman stuff, which is actually, I mean, that stuff is good. It's campy, but it's fun. It's not meant to be taken seriously. You know, they're just silly, good, lighthearted movies. Um, but then the main era you've got, as we talked about, the X-Men movies, the Burton Batman movies. And the problem with those was that they were focused on taking things literally from the books and turning them into adult concepts. Um, and they were ponderous and they were quite pompous. Even the X-Men movies, really quite pompous in some ways. Like Professor X has some really pompous dialogue in that. Um and then along came Iron Man, and it completely changed how superhero movies are made. Um, and some, some people will argue that Batman Begins is the movie. That, I don't think so. I think Batman Begins, I love Nolan. I think Nolan's a great director, but his Batman series is not, I think, his best work. And Batman Begins, I think, was still ponderous and pompous. And it took Iron Man to really kind of blow that lid off. And ever since, superhero movies have not been the same not just because of the amazing success of the the marvel cinematic universe but because of the attitude that this movie took can you imagine can you even imagine a movie like guardians of the galaxy being made the way it was without iron man having come first there's no way they would have made that sort of movie about those characters from a comic book without the success of iron man proving that you can do it you can take these concepts from the books but you can redesign them to make them look a little bit more naturalistic and slot them into, you know, a genre that everybody loves, the lighthearted action movie with quippy dialogue, you know, enormously successful genre throughout the world and just slot these superheroes into it and don't shy away from the fact that they're heroes, but also don't be embarrassed about it, you know, because a lot of the 90s movies, there's all these quips about their costumes and sort of taking the mickey out of themselves and, you know, you can tell that it's the filmmakers sort of saying, yeah, yeah, this all looks a bit crap and campy and cheesy. We know. Just go along with it because it's for the kids, isn't it? And yeah, Iron, Man, yeah. Iron Man didn't do that at all. It was like, no, 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 we're not going to be embarrassed about this whatsoever. We'll change things around so that they look a bit more acceptable to a mainstream audience. Sure. You know, they streamlined his armor. They changed uh, Tony Stark's, you know, sort of the way he looks and acts and stuff a little. But mainly, they just weren't embarrassed about the fact that this was a superhero and and it worked you know yeah you've got nah. um sorry my i just set off my siri there by accident <laughs> <laughs> um siri agreed with you yes she did yeah, yeah. uh it's not was, jarvis <laughs> no no ah right but that leads me to the next thing i was going to say was the special effects tech advances in special effects were a big part of of the success of the movie i don't think there's any doubt uh, of that because you know it look, everything looked great you know the the iron man suit the head up display thing looked great the iron man suit itself in flight and combat looked great and a lot of that is down to you know modern special effects no doubt however as movies since then some of them have proven just because you have great special effects doesn't necessarily mean that you automatically have a good film <laughs> you know you no, need absolutely. you need all of these elements casting was a big part of it as well. Um, I mean, again, talking about the X-Men, Hugh Jackman, you know, is perfect for Wolverine to the point where Wolverine in the comics now looks like 
Hugh Jackman. Um, you know, amazing casting. But nevertheless, that wasn't enough to save the X-Men movies from still being a bit campy and a bit pompous. So it's all these things that came together. This, you know, the world was ready for it. The audience was ready for it. The special effects were right. The casting was right. The director was right. The approach was right. Everything just kind of came together to make this such a great movie and so influential. Like I say, I, I honestly think you can trace a direct line, not just Marvel movies, but every action movie and certainly superhero or superhero-like action movie since, you can trace a direct line right the way back to 2008's Iron Man. And that is why I think it's a great film. The end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Simon, you were going to say something, I think. Um, well, I I remember when I saw this um, back in 2008, I actually went to the, uh, the Odeon Leicester Square to see it uh, with some friends of mine. We absolutely loved it and but i i think what yeah what took me uh you know what took me by surprise was the whole um beginning section when you're just in a cave in afghanistan and you just seeing him having to you know su- trying to survive he comes up with this this whole suit of of a way of of surviving and escaping his predicament and that was like that was really refreshing because usually with a, a superhero, their powers are, you know, given to them or it's an accident or something happens to them to change their way of thinking. So, you know, like with Spider-Man, Batman, um, those kind of characters. And then they have to they have to decide then mm. what they're going to do with those powers. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you see, I see a character at the beginning who's, an, you know, he's a, a, a lovable rogue you know what he does is is if you know people would picket him <laughs> oh yeah he's a dick yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he's a, he's a, a charming dick i mean straight away i mean i think this is when it comes down to the casting that robert downey jr is just excellent as tony scott oh, he, he's just yeah perfect yeah absolutely perfect yeah yeah because 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 he hadn't been characterized iron correct me if i'm wrong but iron man hadn't been um, characterized or dramatized before this, right? Uh, I mean, was was there an animated series of Iron Man before this? I, d- I don't know whether there was. There may have been one of those filmation, terrible filmation cartoons in the 1970s, possibly, but there was certainly nothing on the, you know, the sort of national consciousness. And that's, that's another thing that the movie did, actually, was it showed the power of movies on the public consciousness because honestly up until this movie iron man was kind of a joke he was a bit of a punchline within the world of comics uh he had not been considered an an a-list character since like the 70s you know the early 70s at that and suddenly with the success of one movie he's marvel's biggest star and he still is one of marvel's absolute top a-list characters now um and the again the movies have seeped back into the comics so much that they did in the movies has now influenced the comics in turn. So, you know, it was, it was a great movie, but it also showed the power of movies to really, you know, affect the audience. Mm. I was going to say the, the MCU uh, absolutely at this moment relies heavily on Robert Downey Jr. and Tony Stark. I mean, for the fact that the new Spider-Man film coming out this year has Tony Stark in it. Yep. And as we yep. as we saw in the trailer, we see Spider-Man and Iron Man. You know, 
you know, going to, into action together. But I, I just, I'm curious to think what's going to happen when Robert Downey Jr. sort of, you know, puts puts his suit away and says, well, that's it. I've had enough guys, you know, uh, I want to go on doing something else or I'm just sort of retiring or I'm getting, getting too old for this. You know, how they're going to survive? Because at the moment, they do seem to be relying very heavily on him. I yeah. mean, out of all the other characters they have, Iron Man is, if he's not appearing in the films, he is always being um, talked about. He always sort of gets a mention. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I mean, um, Iron Man stroke Tony Stark, as played by Robert Downey Jr., is kind of, he is to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, kind of what Wolverine is to the X-Men film series, right. isn't he? He's kind of the, 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 the that sort of pivotal character that's... Um, that, that, that holds it together. And I think, Anthony, you made some really, uh, you know, interesting points there on your sort of summary as to why you think this is, this is a great um, superhero movie, which, I, which I, I'm in total agreement with you on. Um, but I think, you know, what, what, what's really made it interesting was, um, you, you know, this was, kind of, this was kind of Robert Downey Jr. coming back to the mainstream after sort of going off the tracks a little bit for a few years. And what he kind of did that was interesting is obviously from the comics, you had this sort of representation of what Tony Stark looked like. So they, they kind of copied that by, you know, giving him the goatee beard and, and, and things of that nature. But essentially he has bought Robert Downey Jr. to Tony Stark completely, hasn't he? I mean, I think, you know, I've, I've seen, I've seen Robert Downey Jr. interviewed in real life and, and um, you, you know, there, there's a lot. He, he is very charismatic and has that a very similar personality to to what he puts across with 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 Tony Stark. And, um, you know, I think that is absolutely you were saying about the ad libbing on set and whatever. And, you know, Robert Downey Jr. is knowing to do quite a bit of that. And, um uh, you, you know, I, I think that's one of the one of the reasons why this does work so well is because because of his performance and and the humor and the charisma that that, that he brings to the character, along with you know very good acting chops as well. You know, because let's face it, Robert Downey Jr. is a very good actor as well. So, um, well, that was know. always the great tragedy of Robert Downey Jr. for a while, wasn't it? Was that he was one of the most gifted actors of his generation. Uh, and yet he's, you know, he, his personal life was a complete car crash. Um, and I think that actually is another, I mean, th that's kind of inside baseball. I don't know how much of the general public are sort of aware of Robert Downey Jr.'s trial and tribulations as a young actor, but it's certainly, I think one of the things that he brought to the role, as you say, was his own personality and why he was so good in this character, because the character of Tony Stark, you know, this has been canon for decades now is that he is uh, a screw up you know he's an alcoholic uh he's you know constantly sort of in and out of recovery um he has a, a turbulent and chaotic personal life uh you know a bit of a playboy and all that sort of thing and yeah you know it's, it's so many parallels with robert downey jr um that he was just able to bring all of that to the role and it's one of the reasons why i think he has become so synonymous with that role. And that role in turn has been, because as you say, he's so charismatic, has become the linchpin of the cinematic universe. As to what they're going to do when he hangs up his suit, I don't know. I mean, this is 
part of the reason I'm sure why they are introducing all of these new heroes constantly to try and find another one that hits with the audience the same way he did with Tony Stark. Um, but also this is kind of the, this is one of the big differences between Marvel and DC and kind of a problem for them and may actually have something to do with why the TV stuff for DC is generally better because DC has always been a legacy superhero publisher and Marvel doesn't do that. Marvel has, see DC has a tradition whereby some heroes will literally pass their mantle down to a younger replacement as time goes on. They allow that some of their heroes to get old and to, you know, pass the mantle down to a younger hero, to somebody that they might have taken under their wing. Um, Marvel has never done that. Marvel instead has what's called the Marvel sliding timescale, which is that in the Marvel universe, and the details here I'm a little bit hazy on, so if there's any mega fans out there, please forgive me if I get the exact dates wrong, but I believe the idea is that in the Marvel universe, it is always 13 years since the Fantastic Four gained their powers, because the Fantastic Four are the start of superpowers in the Marvel universe. They always have been. They are the first superheroes. And in the Marvel Universe, no matter what year it is, it's always the present day. And 13 years ago, the Fantastic Four got their powers. So now, here in 2017, that means that the Fantastic Four got their powers after 9-11. Whereas when you and I were growing up, it meant they got them in the 1970s. And And in the 90s, they got them in the 80s, and so on. So... I mean, in the cinematic universe, that doesn't really, you know, I don't think they're necessarily going to go down that road, but it it means that Marvel has never had this tradition of being a legacy superhero, uh, you know, publisher. Um, So if, because if they were easy, no problem, get a new Iron Man, get a new character in the suit. Um, but, But they've never really done that with their properties. And I don't think they're about to start doing it in the movies. So it is going to be interesting to see what happens when suddenly Robert Downey Jr. stops returning their calls. <laughs> mm. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting where that could, could end up. Um, but uh, I, I mean, w- that was one of the things I did like about this film as well um, is, you know, to this point that you're saying about when it's set and all this sort of stuff is um I love the fact that they 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 set it in the real world for one thing. You know, you know, it it it, it was set in a in the contemporary U.S. You, you know, at, at that time. And one of the things that this film didn't have the stigma of that a lot of superhero films do is the fact that you know I know it was a surprise at the end to a lot of the audience when uh, Tony Stark comes out and actually tells the world that he is Iron Man, right? So suddenly you haven't got to deal with the whole secret identity thing, even though obviously an iron suit is probably the perfect disguise (laughs) compared to a a domino mask and all this sort of stuff that some of the other heroes have to deal with. But, um, but, 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 you know, uh, I, I always thought that was quite interesting. And I noticed that with the MCU, for the most part, 
Um, it might change slightly now. They, they've they've incorporated, incorporated Spider-Man into the mix. But the MCU, for the most part, have sort of followed that. Where Yeah, very few of the um, heroes have secret identities. It, That's exactly. true. Exactly. Everybody sort of, the world knows after the New York disaster in the Avengers, the attack of New York, everybody kind of knows who the Avengers are and know that, you know, who Captain America is and know that Thor comes from another dimension and you know all, all of these things it, it's kind of known to the world and um uh, I, I think that you, you know you say about you know filmmakers or, or being or slightly embarrassed of uh, of the superheroes i mean he, even brian singer with with the first x-men they had the quip about you know the wolverine was was kind of the voice of the audience laughing at their code names and saying about they go out in these suits and the costume you know, the line yeah, in yeah. about spandex and all, all this sort of stuff um, I think that's that's kind of one of the good things that this film sets up is suddenly all of that stigma is gone. So straight away, you can actually, an adult can appreciate this film and see it as an action film. And it's not necessarily cheesy and embarrassing because it's dealing with people in, a, in costumes with special equipment or abilities you know <laughs> so, well, and it, and it also gets good. around it also gets around the, the clark kent superman problem which is you know one of the biggest hurdles that any audience has to get over with a superman movie is the fact that you know you would have to be a special kind of stupid not to tell <laughs> that superman is clark kent you know what i mean it's one of those things where you have to you just have to buy in and go okay this is ridiculous but fine whatever i'm just gonna let it slide because it is absurd yeah well and, and again of course this is one of the things that hasn't worked i know that will be a whole nother discussion but um you know with with what they've tried to do with the new the newer superman movies is is they've tried to sort of take that away but it still doesn't work because you've still got people like perry white and whatever that that, that can't put two and two together and you think <laughs> man you run this you run this globally successful newspaper organization and you can't work out that your guy over there in a check shirt with some glasses on is actually superman you know yeah you're supposed to have yeah. once been a great investigative reporter you know <laughs> exactly <laughs> but i have to say i think that's the least of batman v superman's problems oh yeah yeah no exactly we won't we won't go there certainly but um but the the, the other thing with with iron man the first iron man is is of course not only have you got you know, not only did Favreau and his team, um, you know, do a good job of, of actually putting this film and its story together and, and obviously the casting of Robert Downey Jr., but also like the fact that you've got Jeff Bridges in this, you know, ag yep. again, they, they, they've surrounded Robert Downey Jr. as well with which I guess Christopher Nolan also sort of did with the Batman films is even the supporting characters are played by fantastic actors right, know, right. rather than good heavyweight just, actors. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that, again, I think helps sort of cement this feel of of reality and, and believability in, in, into the into the sort of um, absurdness of, of the setup, <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it does. I mean, like I say, you know, the X-Men movies did that to an extent, having, um, uh, you know, Patrick Stewart and, and Ian McKellen, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, you two amazing heavyweight actors with enormous gravitas. And I've often said, you know, that my if the X-Men movies were just like 90 minutes of those two 
characters being arch with one another. I would still watch them because they're wonderful. You know, watching them on screen and the chemistry between them is fantastic. But nevertheless, the rest of the production around them is still a little bit campy and pompous. And so they, you know, they can't quite save it. Mm, yeah. No, absolutely. And, and you, you know, you say this thing, because I, I think that's quite interesting. You've just got me thinking, you know, your, your, um, your thing about passing the mantle to um, another, you know, man Younger in a heroes, suit or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, th- this was always the thing. I mean, I mean, I know we're talking about the first film here, which is great. But one of the, one of the issues that I had with, with some of the Iron Man sequels um, was the fact that, uh, you know, in this film, the thing that makes Tony Stark unique and makes him Iron Man is the fact that he's got the, again, I forgot the technical name for it, but he's got these fragments in his heart and he's got... Oh, shrapnel. Yeah, he's got the shrapnel, but he's got the, whatever they call the... um, The The repulsor unit. the The repulsor unit, thank you, that powers the suit. And that's kind of what makes it unique. But what what I had a problem with, like in the second movie, and 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 again the third, where he even had these um, the shrapnel removed from 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 his his heart, is suddenly like anybody can be Iron Man. They even had you know um, uh, William Sadler was playing the president of the United States in it, and they had him in an Iron Man costume at one point in 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 the second film, I believe, and. Uh, that that kind of bugged me because I always kind of wanted it to be well only Tony Stark can be Iron Man because he uniquely has this way of powering the suit um, you, you know whereas now uh, you, you know sort of somebody else could could potentially have that mantle because there are other Iron Man suits that anybody can wear and and fly around in and I had a little bit of a for me a little bit of an issue with that with the with the sequels i don't know what you guys thought about that maybe i'm just being pedantic (laughs) well no i mean there's a reason that i only chose the first movie uh, right (laughs) specifically um i think it's just it's because he he builds that mini reactor that powers you know the to, to keep the shrapnel away from his heart Mm. Uh, but it, it's but it's so small and portable that it could be built into everything, and it would have been nice to have it just be Tony Stark as the only one who could wear the suit. But uh, but then we wouldn't have got War Machine or Iron Patriot. <laughs> so yes, they, yes, they, they had to yeah. Or in the comics, Rescue, which is mm. uh, Pepper Potts inside an Iron Man suit. Uh. Um, yeah. Uh, but the approach, but the approach, well, but the approach there was really good. I thought in the comics because uh, the thing about rescue is that she doesn't have any weapons. Hmm. She is a, a that's why she's called rescue. She is purely a uh, you know sort of a non-offensive, just using the suit to do good and to help people, not to you know render attacks and stuff. Which I thought was an interesting moral approach to take be- because it's that character. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought yeah. Rescue was actually going to turn up in Iron Man Three, but we we got the sort of glowing uh, people instead. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had heard going in that she, um, that she sort of plays a part at the end, and so I assumed she was going to turn up as Rescue, but uh, of course it wasn't the case. It was a case that she got infected Pepper with. Pops. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> 
But uh, but yeah. I mean, it's interesting now to see that um, that Pepper Potts is kind of being uh, written out of the MCU because uh, in in Civil War she's like, oh well, we're having difficulties, and so she won't be appearing in this film. But but she did appear in the first Avengers film. I haven't seen Civil War yet, so oh, okay. What? Yeah, I know. I'm not. I'm. I'm so behind. Believe me. <laughs> um, You're in for a treat with Civil War. Trust me. It's. It's. Uh, well, uh, very honestly, strong. I wasn't a huge fan of that storyline in the comics, so I was going to skip it until they uh, branded it as a Captain America movie. Um, mm. And you know, friends of mine said that actually, yes, it does feel like one of the Cap movies because they're like talk about unjustly maligned. I know a lot of people who are really down on the Captain America movies, and personally, for me, they're some of my favorite they probably are my favorite overall series within the mcu i love oh. the captain america movies um i agree for for me winter soldier the second captain america brilliant, film, isn't it? Yeah. is 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 in my opinion the best one of the entire mcu for for me personally wow. um wow. I, and i think and that's why i was glad they got those those two directors um to to, to helm civil war because i think that as a team, those directors work really well and they really know what they're doing. And, uh, you, you know, when you compare, you, you know, myself and Simon often laugh about this because, um, uh, you know, essentially Batman v Superman and Civil War are essentially the same, um, the same sort of story. Yeah. But when you compare the two movies, um, uh, you, you know, Civil War blows Batman v Superman away, and and trust me, I went into Batman v Superman wanting to love it. I mean, I know a lot of people were down on it before it even came out, and I so wanted it to be good and was on its side. But you know, it did overall let me down, and um, Civil War uh, really didn't. Civil War is very good, so um, I, I highly recommend if you like Iron Man one as much as you do <laughs> and you like the captain america movies as much as you do then you you will you will definitely love civil war i'm sure <laughs> right well yeah i'll 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 put that i'll move that towards the uh, top of my stack then um, but talking about pepper pots i mean that this kind of touches on what we were just talking about with robert downey jr you know why are they writing pepper pots out of the universe well probably because gwyneth paltrow is kind of you know fed up of it and doesn't want to do them anymore and what happens then she's not a huge character. You know, she's not as big a character in terms of the universe as Iron Man, but nevertheless, she is in the Iron Man movies. She is a major character in those movies. And Gwyneth Paltrow has, you know, portrayed that character and embodied that character now for millions of people around the world. What are yeah. they going to do? Are they just going to completely write her out or are they going to dare to try and get somebody else in to play the same part? Because they did that with Rhodey. They did that with... They uh, did. Yes, you know. they replaced Terence Howard with um, Don Cheadle. Which, That's right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Is one is one of the uh, one of the few continuity things with actors in the whole MCU. You've obviously got the whole yep. Ed Norton, Mark Ruffalo thing for Hulk as well. But um, uh, but yeah, those are the only two major characters so far across the entire span of of the MCU that have that have changed. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Yeah. For me, 2008 uh, was was really cool because I think the other film, and, and maybe this is an unjustly maligned one by some people, I don't know, but um, 
The Incredible Hulk, which came out the same year as, as Iron Man and was obviously the second MCU film, although people forget it because it is obviously a different lead actor. But I actually thought The Incredible Hulk was, was, was a really good movie as well. And of course, featured Tony Stark in the post credit sequence, which was which was quite a nice time. Oh, did it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You had um, you had, uh, you, you know, um, William Hurt's character. What's it? Thunderbolt, Thunderbolt, Theo Thunderbolt, whatever his name is, the, the general. Yeah. <laughs> no. R- Ross, Ross, General Ross. General Ross. There you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, you had him in a bar at the end. And he's obviously got this problem, you know, that the Hulk is out there on the loose and Tony Stark comes in and, um, you know, says, I might be able to help, you know, there's this, there's, there's, and, and it's a nice tie in and sort of a follow on from what they did in Iron Man with, um, with, uh, Samuel L. Jackson yeah. and Nick Fury appearing at the end. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's interesting, but, th- but, you know, Iron Man, this one kind of set that template, didn't it? So totally you, yeah, you to have yeah. it. And then everybody now sits through the end credits, even though there's, thousands of people because of all the visual effects but everybody sits through <laughs> yeah. the end credits of every yeah. marvel movie because they know that at the end you know we're, we're, we're going to get some tease or some you, you, you know thing that's going to come up afterwards and of course well, you get it all two. started with this you, you get, get two, two now, in yeah. most movies now yeah, <laughs> yeah you get like the first batch of credits for the above the line stuff and then you get a post-credit sequence there, and then you get all the below-the-line credits, and then you get another post-credit sequence like ten minutes later at the end of those. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Thank yeah. God I for mean... smartphones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, at least you can check your emails. Indeed. Exactly. While you're sat there waiting. <laughs> the the just... only time, the only time that a, f- a phone should ever be out in a cinema period i might add well and the, the only time that nobody else will complain because <laughs> mm. you see it now you go to these movies and you see it at the end everybody just sits there gets their phones out starts checking twitter or whatever <laughs> waiting for the post credits thing and it's the one time that nobody complains about everybody getting their phones out <laughs> <laughs> this is very true <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah anyway but... so shall we move on to hell I, I suppose we should because uh, we could literally talk about this for yeah, hours. Time's getting on, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. All right. That, thank, that, thank, thank you, thank you, uh, Anthony, for stepping in and doing our job for us. That's brilliant. Yes. Let's keep on track here. Let's bring some decorum and order to this process. Yeah. Oh, I don't um, know about that. <laughs> so well, it's, uh, it's, it's never worked pick? for us before. <laughs> this is true. This is true. I don't know whether you've listened to any of our episodes, Anthony, but we do tend to go off on tangents quite uh, quite quite regularly especially me so <laughs> but, uh, so so what is your pick then uh for movie hell uh it is i did actually listen to um because you you told me to i listened uh to the one where you intru- uh, interviewed the guy behind the blade runner documentary Oh, Charles de Lozarica, yeah? That's it. I couldn't remember his yeah. name, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yes, yeah, so, so, uh, so, yes, I'm aware. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, cool. So, yeah, so, okay, so my movie Hell is, and this is going to incur the wrath of quite a few people, I imagine, is uh, also the first of a series and also a Marvel character, and it is the first Sony Spider-Man movie from 2002. Um, now, I know a lot of people love this movie. <laughs> And a lot of people will actually point to this movie as the sort of start of the modern era of superhero films, but those people are dead wrong. And it is, 
this film for me was a massive letdown. Now, I'm not going to I don't think this is the worst movie superhero movie out there. You know, calling it hell is a bit strong, I guess. But the the it's not the worst. Of course not. Uh, you know, look at any of the Fantastic Four movies, for heaven's sake. Um, if you want really bad superhero, modern superhero movies, it's not the worst. But it was so big, such a huge phenomenon and success. And yet, I think was a really disappointing movie. Uh, the casting is great. Uh, you know, I don't have a problem with Tobey Maguire. I thought he was great. Cousin Nuts was fine. Uh, you can't go wrong with Willem Dafoe, you know. Um, the special effects do look a bit cheesy in retrospect. And frankly, you know, they probably looked a bit cheesy at the time as well. But, you know, whatever. That's I, I'm prepared to let that slide. Um, but uh, it was just such a letdown. It's It's kind of amazing that this movie is only like five or six years before Iron Man, really, because the gulf in styles and approach, and in terms of, in my opinion, Iron Man showing everyone how to do this right, that it's a chasm, it's a grand canyon of a gap between these two movies. It's it's crazy, considering that they are so close, relatively, you know, so close together in time. Um, the one really good thing they did was getting Samurai Amy in. I mean, because that's ballsy, you know, getting Samurai Amy in to helm your, what was it at the time, $90 million or something? Superhero blockbuster, you know, with a a world, a universally world-known character. You know, this even before the movie, Spider-Man was, everybody knew Spider-Man was. They may not have ever seen a Spider-Man movie or TV show. They may not have been able to tell you anything about him, but they all knew who Spider-Man was. And then you get Samurai Amy in to direct that movie that's ballsy gotta give them that but the end result is just kind of flat like the threat is really convoluted like defoe's character is you know and his motivations and the plot are just really convoluted not very interesting he's a cackling villain which defoe's good at but you know again just isn't all that interesting um and the final ultimately the final battle that they have in that abandoned building. Cause yeah, you know, there are loads of abandoned falling down buildings in Manhattan. What the hell? Uh, <laughs> you know, what's some of the most expensive real estate in the world? Yeah. We'll just have this huge block sized, empty building that nobody's using. Yeah. Just leave it there. It's fine. Um, and it's completely lacking in tension. Uh, it's not a very well choreographed fight. I don't think it doesn't use the sort of 3d nature of the space very well. And, the final, uh, the goblin's final defeat when he gets, you know, and he impales himself is just ridiculous. Like, I, I just shook my head at that. You want to talk about lazy storytelling? It removes all agency from Spider Man. All he does is save himself and allow the Green Goblin to be killed in the process. That's not heroic. That's, this is, you've just had a movie completely centered around this very famous dictum you know that with great power comes great responsibility that's a great basis for a hero you just had a whole movie centered around that and then he does a really unheroic thing at the end saving his own skin to let his enemy die that's you know that's just absolutely and i'm not even a huge spider-man fanboy it's not like me saying oh that goes against the character i just think it's really it goes against a heroic any heroic character um and this is only what 10 minutes after we've just seen him save a tram full of people 
with his amazing webbing stuff. And yet you're telling me that he suddenly now can't just like, you know, deflect a rocket, a flying, you know, rocket platform or, you know, get it with a bit of web fluid. or so. It's just uh, it, uh, <laughs> from a storytelling perspective, it really, really annoyed me that did because I was just like, you know, you've got so many people working on these movies and nobody went, hang on, can we? Can we think of a better way for him to defeat the goblin that maybe doesn't involve him killing the guy as well? Um, I just, uh, I mean, th- this issue of whether heroes should kill or not has raged throughout comics for decades, American comics anyway, has raged for decades um, because, and for, for people who aren't familiar with the comics industry, it's partly because of a thing called the comics code, which mm-hmm. if, you, if you ever saw, you know, sort of imported American comics, in the 70s and 80s, you will have seen the approved by the Comics Code Authority seal on the front of a comic. And this was after Frederick Wortham's Seduction of the Innocent, which was basically, a, you know, a witch hunt against comics. Uh, that was a ter- one of the worst things that ever happened to the American comics industry. And one of the dictums within the Comics Code was that heroes cannot deliberately or should not deliberately kill their enemies. Um, which... You know, okay, as morals go, that's that's absolutely, you know, fully approve of that. However, it, it leads to these ridiculous situations where, because you've got these comics that run for decades at a time, you have characters like Batman and the Joker, who, uh, you know, the Joker has literally by this point killed millions of people. But Batman absolutely refuses, not only refuses to kill him, but also actually saves his life. Um, and that's... I mean, this is kind of beside the point, but that is that's an argument that's gone on for decades in comics. Modern movies, the modern Marvel movies, post Iron Man, they don't care. They will happily kill bad guys because that is what movie audiences expect in an action movie. They do not expect the hero to suddenly, you know, try and save the villain or whatever, um, or go around not killing people who are trying to kill them. But pre that. Uh, and with this first Spider-Man movie, that was still the case. And because he's such a sort of wholesome, you know, the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, such a wholesome hero, him allowing the goblin to die just really rankled me from, as I say, from a sort of character and storytelling perspective of just like this negates what you've just spent the whole movie building up this thing of like, you know, you must be responsible. Don't be rash. Don't act on your impulses. Don't, do things for the sake of revenge, be a good person. And then, and then at the end, he just isn't. And you know, that, that really, Oh, I remember when everybody was going on about how great this movie was. And I was like, really, did we watch the same film? <laughs> I, I don't think we did watch the same film. I mean, that, 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 that ending, I, I, I have to say he had no choice about killing the green goblin. The green goblin was not only friend, threatening Aunt May, but uh, Mary Jane as well. And anybody else he'd come in contact with. I mean, I, he really didn't have a choice. But he didn't even try. The Goblin at that point had not, unlike, say, the Joker, you know, in Batman's universe, uh, it's not like the the Goblin had shown decades of being able to escape from prisons, you know? All he had to do was just incapacitate him, get the cops in to haul him off. He didn't have superpowers. He was insane, and he was a great scientist, but he didn't. it's not like he actually had super strength or could shoot lasers out of his eyes. Well, I mean... 
I don't. <laughs> I don't think the police would have been able to handle him. I mean, I mean, they can't even handle um, a Spider Man. I mean, look what happens when the the police do corner him, and he's like, "I'm going to go back in." And he's got, "I'm going to arrest you when you come back here," and he's like, "I'm not coming back." <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know what they would have done with Green Goblin if they had just arrested him. I, I sure. I think he would have just broken out, or you know, he would have broken his handcuffs and 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 you know would run off i think it was maybe uh, a poor decision to uh to kill off the green goblin just because uh when it came to the sequels they kind of didn't know they they kind of wanted to do you know harry osborne as you know as his right you know as, as the, the hobgoblin yeah as the hobgoblin and they they've they fucked that up in the third one i mean the, the third oh, the third one it, the third one's an absolute mess is that the one with sandman Yes. Yes. And yeah, and yeah. Venom. <laughs> oh right. Yes, of course. This is yeah. this is the case of too many villains, and also retconning what had happened in the first one uh, with Uncle Ben, saying that it was actually the Sandman who shot Uncle Ben and not uh, yeah, yeah. not the guy. Yeah. No, and and the... you know the, the the thing I love about it is um, you know this is a Sam Raimi film f- through and through. I mean, it's got all his hallmarks. It's got his comedy. It's got his its dark moments, and the the fact got his car, got his car, yeah. <laughs> and it, you know, it, as you say, to to give Sam Raimi that kind of budget was especially seeming that the film he did before this uh, was like a really small sort of type thriller. I'm trying to remember what. Uh, what oh, was, was it the gift? Did he do the gift no, before this? No. No. No, um, oh, let me just. Uh, man looks up uh, things on IMDb. <laughs> I'm just looking at his Wikipedia page now. It was he did um, Hudsucker Proxy. Oh, second unit on that. Sorry, Quick in the Dead, Simple Plan, Love of the Game, Gift, and then Spider Man. Right. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, all right. Okay, I was I was thinking of uh, a Simple Plan. Oh, I didn't realize he did two other films after that. What's the... I haven't seen a simple plan. Quick in the Dead, I liked. That's, yeah. uh, that's probably what probably one of my favourite of his movies, actually. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, his Evil Dead films, and uh, I absolutely love Drag Me to Hell. I mean, I went into that film thinking, oh, this isn't going to be scary, and by the end of it, absolutely having like a, a proper <laughs> full on roller coaster ride. I mean, it was it was it was funny, and it was it, it was so suspenseful as well. Yeah. No, I was I was at Cannes for the Drag Me to Hell screening, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, I just I just want to say, I mean, uh, I, I mean, I, from from a storytelling perspective, I mean, I, it's it's one of the better origin films going out there. I mean, you know, the way you see how Spider Man and the Green Goblin are sort of created and sort of you know parallel each other as they go along before they finally meet. Uh, I always thought that was really well done. Um, you know the, the you know for the effects of the time they were cutting edge i mean it was that was one of the things that i think other directors before sam raimi had problems trying to do was making spider-man convincingly swing through new york yeah that's true yeah and, no as i yeah. said at the start like the effects i mean the effects mm. are a bit cheesy in retrospect but yeah they're not you know i special effects technology moves so quickly that i i never ding a movie just because you look back in five years time and the special effects are a bit yeah you know uh, are a bit poor because yeah that's just you can say that about pretty much any movie ever made so 
Yeah, and I think I think it's a good way to kick it off. And I have to say, and then to sort of build on top of that with Spider Man Two, which absolutely just knocks it out of the park. I think Spider Man Two is that. Oh no, I thought Spider Man Two was awful. No, <laughs> Spider Man Two is much is, is a much better film than the first one. I mean, oh, no. somebody. I mean, how many films have you got where a superhero is dealing with the fact that he has to sort of do a he has to have a normal life. And his actual uh, alter ego is actually getting in the way of that. Oh, yeah, no, it's, I mean, that's always been the appeal of Spider-Man. That's why Spider-Man is such a great character, because, you know, that's that's his entire concept. And it is a great concept. I just don't think that it was especially well handled in this series of movies. Um, I, I mean, I'll be honest, I probably enjoyed Tobey Maguire as Peter Parker more than I enjoyed the action sequences of spider-man um which i think you know says a lot about tobey Maguire as an actor and yes about how those scenes were handled but putting the two together i don't know i just as i say the whole thing kind of just fell flat for me okay um yeah i mean from from my perspective uh i i have to say i was i was surprised you picked this um if you'd said to me spider-man 3 um, I would have, <laughs> I would have understood because that oh, that, but that's an easy time. target. Or the Amazing <laughs> Spider-Man. I mean, one well, and two. Well, 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 I still yeah, haven't well, said that. Yeah. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll come to those. But but the the the, the thing is, I, I kind of I mean, I'm, I'm I agree with Simon 100 percent that for me, of the Sam Raimi Tobey Maguire Spider-Man trilogy, the the second film for me is by far the best of the three. I, I really, really enjoyed the second film when it came out. Um, this film, um, I'm kind of, I'm almost sort of in between both of you on this one in so much as I have my problems with it. I don't think it's uh, a perfect movie by any stretch of the imagination. However, um, I'm definitely not as down on it as, as you are, Anthony. Um, I rewatched it before we recorded this and um, here, here are my theories on it. I think that um, the problems with, I, I mean, first of all, I think it does a lot of things right. Okay. Um, I think that as you have, have rightly said that the, the, the casting was spot on. I think um, Toby Maguire, etc. you know, are all very good in this film. I think that that works really well. Um, and I think overall what Sam Raimi did did with this was good. I like the fact, and I've always always liked this, even though it's not comic book fans get a bit upset with this, but they kept uh, James Cameron's idea from his original um, treatment when he was back in the 80s or 90s when he was going to make a Spider-Man movie. And he changed a little bit of the origin story. So instead of a radioactive spider... It was a genetically enhanced spider. And instead of Peter Parker uh, miraculously developing these, these web shooters all of a sudden, that the, the web fluid is actually an organic thing that's, that's part of the, um, the change when he gets bitten by this spider. So I, I always thought, I personally, even though it upsets comic book fans, always preferred that from a movie perspective. It made a lot more sense to me. Um, but I think having watched the film, I think the setup of this is brilliant. Everything with the, you know, the uh, Uncle Uncle Ben and the, you know, great power comes great responsibility and him having to deal with the um, 
the guy that shoots his uncle, who's the guy that obviously he let escape um, when, when he when he done the, the the fight and having to deal with all of that. I thought that all worked really well. What I think the film suffers from is, I think even though Willem Dafoe is great, I think the characterization of the Green Goblin in this and the Green Goblin's glider and the equipment and all that doesn't really work. It feels very forced and very comic booky, and they've tried to sort of fit it in reality. And I don't think that works particularly. Um, I do think the second half of the movie is not as strong as the first half. So I agree with you that some of the um, some of the bits at the end are a bit contrived and, and, and felt very much that way. And I think tonally, this film had the problem of this was the next film that came out after X-Men, which we've already talked about in, in some length. Um, which came out in 2000, and this was the next one. And it is, of course, a very different movie and a very different tonal shift to what people were used to with X-Men. So I think um, that that might have had, you know, maybe something to do with it as well. But um, I, I think watching it, yes, it's got its cheesy elements, it's got its comic book elements, but... Um, Overall, I don't think it holds up too bad. I, I think when they really lost the plot with this series was the uh, was the third movie, which I think we all agree on. And I prefer the Sam Raimi, um, Tobey Maguire era than over, to be perfectly honest, the uh, Andrew Garfield, Mark Webb, um, amazing Spider-Man films, which which just kind of, to me, felt like a bit of a rehash uh, 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 of the same thing and um, and not different enough. And this is why I'm very interested, particularly after seeing Civil War, about what the MCU are going to do with 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 Spider Man and Spider Man Homecoming. And finally, we have a um, uh, a Spider Man movie with the new one where the suit actually makes sense. Whereas in these movies, it's like when he miraculously gets this suit and you sort of think, hold on, he was dressed in a sort of homemade <laughs> thing just a few scenes back. Where's this come from? So I don't, I don't think it's a perfect film, but I don't, I don't think it's, it's, it's that bad either. That's, that's my point of view anyway, for what it's worth. <laughs> well, I mean, Ramble like I say, later. like I say, I, I, I didn't choose the you know spider-man 3 because i think that's just too obvious a target that's you know that's <laughs> that's shooting fish in a barrel lots of fish in lots of barrels um yes. so you know i i as i say i knew that this was going to be a relatively controversial pick because i know so many people do like this movie uh the organic web shooters i don't have a problem with them per se the only thing i disliked about them was that in the comic uh the it's part of the sort of background of his character that he's a science genius and mm -hmm. you know that's how he's able to build the web shooters is because he's a scientific genius uh even though he's you know a sort of down his luck loser um so making the web shooters organic does detract from that a little bit but uh, yeah it's not something that you know i was up in arms about really i know some people were as you say but i think most people got over it fairly quickly i agree that the green goblin costume and as, like I said before, his motivations and stuff are just really forced and very, I agree yeah, with that. And very yeah. comic, very comic booky. You know, this is what I meant about comic books, uh, about movies being almost embarrassed about the fact that they were being, you know, forced to adapt comic books almost. Um, and I think that was a part of it, which is a shame because, yeah, Willem Dafoe obviously is 
an amazing actor. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's not that he's wasted in this movie, but it's certainly not used to his full potential, which I think is, a, you know, he's a great shame. So yeah, as yeah. I say, you know, I'm, I would never I, I say agree, that this I agree is... with you on that point. Absolutely. I mean, I, I do think the problem with this film is the green goblin in terms of everything about him, the motivation, right. the, the, the journey he goes on. Although I agree with Simon, I like the bit at the beginning where he and Peter are sort of paralleling the transformation that they're going yeah, that's, on. That's, that's not done so very yeah. well, that's but the so actual, bad. the actual costume and the glider and the mask and all of that stuff, isn't it isn't done very well and um well and i mean he's you know the journey is not that good so yeah (laughs) it's he's literally presented as why is he evil because he's insane and that's Mm. that's really tough to do it's really thin it's thin yeah (laughs) it it is thin it's kind of cheap and it's also just really really hard to pull off from a story perspective you know there has to be even you know the most famously insane supervillain in all of comics the joker is even he has more to him than just oh i'm a bit crazy me um you know in in every movie depiction there has been of him and it frankly in most of the comics as well most of the good comics about the joker you know do go beyond that and you know go deeper behind oh i'm wacky and you know crazy and psychopathic um so i think that was an issue as well was that it's yeah there there just isn't enough meat on those bones Um, yeah I think they got it better. They got it right, or, or they they did a better job in the second film with Doc. Doc Ock, Ock is a is a much better portrayed villain. I still don't think it's a great movie. Uh, unfo- I'm sorry, guys, but but he hey. is he is a much better written villain. Absolutely, uh, and of course, is um is who plays him? Is it Molina? Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah, Alfred Molina is. I mean, he's just again, he's another great actor. So, but he's got more to work with than Willem Dafoe had for. The Green Goblin, I think. Right. Okay. And did you say you've not seen the um, the Amazing Spider-Man? Oh, the Andrew Garfield ones. No, I ha- haven't seen them at all. No, no. Because to be honest, I just lost interest in Sony's handling of the franchise. And, you know, and they have struggled. They've really struggled, which is why, you know, he's ended up back in the MCU because Sony kept trying. Bless them. They kept trying, <laughs> you know, uh, and they just just could not seem to get it right. And so... Yeah, the the amazing stuff. I like Andrew Garfield. Um, yeah, yeah, I think I think he's a good actor. He's a very watchable actor. But when you know when these when those movies came out, I was just like, yeah, I'll pass. You know, if it's if it's Sony again and it's just a reboot, I'm just kind of not, not that interested in seeing Spidey's origin yet well, yeah. again. Well, yeah. they only they only actually did it because they would have lost the rights. Um, it was approaching the time that oh, I Sony believe would that. lose yeah. the rights and. And it is it is yet another retread. I mean, they tried to bring in this sort of subplot with with his father and all this. But essentially, they took what in terms of the villain, they took what they were going to use for Spider-Man four had Spider-Man three been more successful and then sort of put it into a reboot uh, origin story again. And um uh, yeah, for, for me, for me, those films, re- well, particularly I think. The second one is even worse than the first one, from from my point of view of of the uh, Andrew Garfield um, movies. And uh, um, I, I I don't want to do too many spoilers for Civil War if you haven't seen it yet. But um, you, you know, it's no secret that Spider Man and Peter Parker appear yeah. in that film. And I think just the way they handle it in in 
in the few scenes that he's in in that film is is done so much better in in my humble opinion anyway what do you think simon well just just saying about the amazing spider-man was that uh not only did they went oh we need to do an origin story again but more or less just beat for beat uh, followed the Sam Raimi Spider-Man, but then just sort of tried to speed it up. And so it, it didn't give it time to breathe. It was just very, it was just very full on. And uh, I mean, they went back to him sort of designing his web shooters and all that kind of stuff, but it just wasn't great. It was just really awful. And uh, kind of, I think Sony went down this path where it had to have a say on everything like it did in Spider-Man 3. And uh, you can really see their, their, their fingers all over the amazing Spider-Man films, uh, especially the second one. The second one is an absolute mess. And there's so much stuff that was shot. I mean, we talk about Rogue One and things that, you know, footage that we saw in trailers that never made it into um, into the film. Uh, with Amazing Spider-Man 2, they actually had a whole bit with Mary Jane. They actually had uh, an actress cast in it and they shot so much stuff with her and never used it. And, yeah, and it's not on the Blu-ray either, which is a shame. <laughs> you know, but, so um, it, it's a lot, of, a lot of studio interference and it was as... Keith says that you know they they were going to lose the license, so they had to put something out, and it wasn't a case of just getting a director and letting them do what he wanted. They they felt that they had to have a, a say on everything, and you can really see that. And it's just they're just horrible films to watch. The you know yeah yeah I don't I don't think it's the director's fault. To be fair, I agree with you. I think it's that there was too much interference, and and I have to say, particularly the second one. The worst Stan Lee cameo ever. Oh, ever. really? Oh, it's, it's painful. It's horrible. I was like, most of I them mean, are fairly I mean, painful. I, I mean, the, the one in Iron Man, though, you cho- chose Iron Man, is amazing. Where uh, Tony Stark thinks it's Hugh Hefner. Yeah. Do you remember oh, that? that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. That one's genius. I so, think. <laughs> um, am I right in saying that uh, Sam Raimi's Spider Man was the first Stan Lee? Uh, cameo. Ah, well, I've got a bit of trivia here. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, yes, it's the first. God, I'm such a nerd when it comes to movies. Yes, it's the first movie cameo. Um, oh, actually, no, it's not because he was in in X Men One as well on the beach selling hot dogs. So, oh, that's uh, he was right. in that. But actually, oh, okay. before any of before any of that, um, they made some TV movies with Lou Ferrigno and Bill Bixby that. Uh, was supposed to be sequels to Kenneth Johnson's series and yes. he had nothing yeah. Kenneth Johnson had nothing to do with it and they released three sort of horrible TV movies based on on the Hulk and um in fact they started to they were trying to do like an MCU thing by bringing uh, other Marvel heroes into it which re- they had Thor and um, Daredevil and it really didn't work but um Stan Lee actually is there's one called The Trial of the Incredible Hulk and Stan Lee is one of the jury members and that was his first ever um, uh. cameo apparently as a bit of sado trivia there <laughs> <laughs> Excellent <laughs> 
Uh, I have to. I have to go now. Watch the the beach scene from X Men because I am watching all of yes. it again. Just I to see that cameo. Yeah, it's when Bruce Davison comes out yes. of the water after yeah. having escaped yeah. from yeah. Magneto. And the, uh, this, yeah, this um, is the thing about having been a projectionist at the time working in the cinema is I got to see that film a hell of a lot. So I I, 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 I sort of know it beat by beat. So yeah, I, I figured it was there. I just I just forgotten he was in it. I always thought Spider Man was the first one because. You know, not only is he there, but he gets a bit of action to do because he he pulls somebody out of the way of some falling debris. So, oh, that's right. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yes, yeah. The famous Times Square scene, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> with, um, with Macy Gray. I mean, it, that that does kind of date it. <laughs> it does totally date it. Yes, I, I thought that. I was watching it just before um before we recorded today, and I was like, oh yes, there are things. That, that that really do date this but um but but you know it, it 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 i think sam raimi did did a did a good job and i think it's 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 not you know it's not a perfect movie but um uh, i totally take on your points anthony as to as to why you don't think it works and um well, yeah i mean i, I, I know i'm in the minority the Green thing hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I know I'm in the minority here. Most people love those movies, and it, you know I, I'm the freak, so I, I realise that and I acknowledge it. It's fine. <laughs> this is this is your go at unjustly maligned. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so, no, that that that's, that's more like that's Room cool. 101, actually. Room 101. <laughs> yes. So, Keith, um, what would have been your picks for movie heaven, movie hell? Then. Oh my God. Um, well, uh, movie hell would have probably been, and again, it's so obvious, but it would have been Batman and Robin because I really think that is probably the worst, <laughs> worst comic book movie that's ever been made ever, you know. Um, but movie heaven, you see, because uh, I've got a real fondness for the original Superman, obviously. I've got a real fondness for the, the X-Men franchise, uh, but also... Um, I've got a real fondness for the Christopher Nolan films, particularly The Dark Knight. So uh, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. I, I, and I really like, as I mentioned earlier, Captain America Winter Soldier is definitely my movie heaven of the MCU for sure. So um, I don't know. What would you have picked? You've um, thought about it more than me, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought for movie heaven, I would have picked The Rocketeer. I love the Rocketeer. I think that's oh, a great film. Oh, that's wow. interesting. Yeah. Okay. And I was really happy that they uh, they brought the director of that in to do um, the first Captain, Captain America. America. Yeah. Because yeah. it, it just it just fit his style completely, and so it's yeah. why I, I really enjoy the first Captain America. But I mean, it was a hell of a, a thing to then sort of up it with Winter Soldier, and then sort of keep it at that level with Civil War. Uh, for well, for hell, God, there's so many choices. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said, pick yeah. any of the Fantastic Four movies, and you know, probably oh, any yeah. of them are worse than even the worst Spider-Man movie. So, as I said at the start, you know, I acknowledge. I'm well, not saying that that was the worst. In my opinion, the worst movie. I would take the first two uh, Fantastic Four films over um, the Amazing Spider-Man films. Uh, as, oh well, I haven't seen those. So. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, as 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 oh, wow. as, okay. as as flawed as um, uh, those Fantastic Four films are, and and cheesy as they are, there there's still a, an element of phantom. I mean, I Jessica Alba. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's it's some stuff in it that you kind of cringe at, but, uh, you know, at least at least it all kind of makes some sort of sense. I mean, I mean, I enjoyed the Silver Surfer one sort of more than the first one. But um, Chris Evans's other superhero. Yes. Franchise. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, my pick for movie hell probably would be Spider-Man 3 just because um, it's a total mess. It is a total mess. Well, no, but there's 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 another reason for this, and um, that was the f- um, my nephew, me and my nephew, we really like love the first two Spider-Man films. That's why, also why I will defend it. <laughs> but uh, we we both went. I, I took him to see Spider-Man three, and we had such high hopes because you know we we wanted to see how it was going to finish and also how they were going to bring venom into it because venom had always sort of been this big character within the spider-man universe and i wanted to see how they were going to do it and it was they just fucked it, it up pathetic. it was awful <laughs> absolutely awful of all the places of all the places on earth that that meteorite could have landed it lands 10 feet from peter parker i'm like oh come on how lazy storytelling is that <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah I, I i don't i think sam raimi did fight with the studio a lot on it and i think he lost a lot of those battles and uh it was at avi arid wasn't it when he was running it at the time i think yeah and it was just it was such a shame because because the third one should have just been about Harry Osborn and Peter Parker, you know, finishing off that storyline and shouldn't have had Sandman or um, Venom in there. Or yeah, you had no yeah. no no less than three three villains plus Spider Man, you know, dealing with his personality change thing as well. Plus they tried to introduce Gwen Stacy in it as well. And it's like, oh my God, what a you, you know, and they didn't do any of it well. And and the thing <laughs> is terrible. I've I've always been a fan of the black Spider-Man suit. It's, it's I've always sort of loved that that suit. And I thought the what they did was stupid and having the sort of goth Peter Parker as well was that was just ridiculous. And really. a dance number. A dance number. I mean, what the hell was that? He was strutting, him, <laughs> strutting to you know Saturday Night Fever, and it was just, oh, it was just, it was really cringeworthy. And it's just, yeah, it's, it, it's such a shame. It could have been, it should have been a much better film. It should have been a film that sort of closed off the, um, the trilogy. Though saying that, I think, I think it was kind of a mistake ending two with. Mary Jane sort of professing her love for Peter Parker. I, I think once they did that, they didn't quite know what to do with Mary Jane. And they just again turned her into that screaming victim at the end, which I will say is, is one of the things that is sort of out the, the especially the, with the first two Spider-Man films are a bit, she, she is their so kind of scream. To be rescued. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, and then, in distress. And, yeah, and yeah. I don't mind it so much within the first and the second one, but when it got to the third one, it's like, seriously, girl, are you gonna you, you're doing this again? Just stay home. Just yeah. stay home. <laughs> just don't go out. <laughs> yeah, they 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 just needed to change the stakes a bit more, and you know, yeah. uh, and it was yeah. And I, I, I think f- probably from Sam Raimi's part, it was probably fatigue from doing it because. You know, he did do these films sort of back to back. So, yeah, was, I'm sure he must have been exhausted. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, it's 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 no uh, 
you know these these big studio franchise properties like this it must be um you, you know envious as i am sometimes <laughs> of the guys that, that get to direct this stuff at the same time it must be uh because of the amount of producers and money and 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 everything involved it must be um an incredibly stressful thing to do i would imagine um, well and and the great irony that the more successful your previous film was the less control you have over the next one because everybody else yeah. now wants to get involved yeah yeah exactly yeah. it's like trust me guys i delivered the last one it was yeah great. i did the last Come one on. didn't i don't you trust me like <laughs> no no now we all want to have our fingers in the pie as well yeah well i think that kind of to a certain extent might have happened to uh Favreau a little bit as well because again you, you as you rightly said he did such a good job of the um uh you know the 2008 Iron Man film but um you, you know the the second one didn't quite live up to it and of course he didn't direct the third one so may, may, maybe maybe he got tired maybe that's why yeah I, yeah. I, I think it's <laughs> saying Iron Man 2 didn't quite live up to Iron Man is the understatement of the century well, really yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it is, it is. It's, I was very disappointed when I saw it yes um, uh, one of the weaker of the MCU for my for me yeah. true but <laughs> revisiting it is still I, I think it's still quite a fun film I think if you if you go back to it now I think it's it, it's better than when you previously watched it, when you went in there with such high expectations, I think taking it on its own terms, it's actually quite a lot of fun. And also, you know, brought Black Widow into the MCU as well. That was her Which is always good. Yes, yeah. indeed. We, yeah. we, 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 we like them for that. Um, I have to say as well, while we're on the subject of the MCU, um, completely sort of overlooked, but I thought the first avengers which uh you know josh whedon did was was a um fabulous movie i think the first avengers is one of those almost perfect you know ensemble films that really sort of ticked all the boxes and worked on on every level again i was disappointed with the the follow-up avengers movie you, you know uh, the age of ultron but um i thought the first avengers was was a very strong film i agree i agree yeah. it's yeah. uh you know i mean it's a lot of a lot of, uh, you know, sound and fury signifying nothing ultimately, but as a fun time in the cinema, a bit like the first of the Star Trek reboots movie, like yes. not, a not a classic that I'm going to stick on my shelf and rewatch over and over, but for a fun time in the cinema. Yeah, really good. Yeah. Well, I think, Anthony, if you've taken anything away from this podcast, it's that you need to watch Civil War. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that will be going towards the top of my stack. No question. <laughs> well, I think I think that's sort of a, a good place to sort of uh, to, to, to end. No, and um, yeah, but I think this is a good place to end it. Do you think? Yeah, yeah. yeah um, absolutely. It's definitely a good place to end the superhero stuff. One thing I do before, before we go, one thing I do want to ask you about though, Anthony, uh, if you don't mind, if, if you're able to talk about it is a little bit more, I think it's very exciting that you're, um, having one of your, um, you, you know, one of your novels made into a, 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 you know, proper Hollywood movie starring Charlize Theron, you know, that's amazing. Um, are you able to sort of, tell us anything about that or is that all sort of classified at this stage it's I mean, it's not completely classified <laughs> some okay. of it is um yeah i mean it's uh charlie's uh came on board as producer um when the book was published actually before the book was published um 
back in 2011, 2012. Um, and it just took a few years to get it rolling. Um, and then after, uh, j- just really good timing, after Fury Road came out, or no, just before Fury Road came out, things started really moving. And then after Fury Road came out, things really got moving because, of course, that was such a huge hit and, mm-hmm. you know, like made her such a, a bankable action star. Um, that from Fury Road to the coldest city going into production, literally to cameras rolling, was like six months, if that. Uh, wow. It, yeah, it was amazing. Um, and... Uh, I can tell you, I, I mean, I don't have any direct involvement, you know, um, they, they don't have to listen to anything I say. They bought the rights, they can do what they want. However, that said, they've been very, very good about keeping me in the loop, uh, letting me know what's going on. I read an early draft of the script, um, you know, things like that. They flew me out to the set for a set visit. Oh, wow. Uh, Budapest at the start of, in fact, almost exactly a year ago to the day, um, and, uh, yeah, you know, they've just been, they've been really, really good to me about that. And what I have seen and what I saw while I was in Budapest, uh, is encouraging, you know, makes me genuinely think that this is going to be a really good movie. It is, uh, I mean, obviously they've sort of changed things. You have to, I, I understand that I've done adaptations myself. I know how it works. You have to make changes to make something fit the medium you're working in, but it's more faithful to the book than I was expecting. And certainly I think that most other people would expect. Um, and yeah, it just, you know, I, I genuinely do think it's going to be good. And we have what an amazing cast. We have Charlize Theron, James McAvoy, Sophia Boutella, Eddie Marsan, uh, James Faulkner, uh, John Goodman, John Goodman. Wow. <laughs> it's yeah. like, it is an absolutely astounding cast. Um, and yeah, as I say, I just, you know, it, it comes out uh, end of July, the week after Comic-Con is it's currently scheduled for. Oh, wow. Um, okay. And so is this hope- going to be your first, you know, on-screen, you yes. know, big movie on-screen credit, yeah? Yes, absolutely. This is the this is the first and currently stroke only uh, <laughs> movie uh, based on one of my books. I mean, hopefully not the last, but, you know, um, it, it, even if it is, as I say, I, like, I'll be happy because it looks like it's going to be really good. I mean, you know, I will see it at the premiere at the same time as everybody else. Um, but everything I'm hearing, and like I said, they are being very good about keeping me in the loop. Uh, everything I'm hearing is good, you know, sort of signs point to yes. So, wow. yeah, I hope everybody yeah. enjoys that when um, it comes out. You, you must be so excited. I mean, that is amazing. And and obviously, I'm sure if this does well, then, then you, you know, maybe other works of yours will get um you know adapt well, that would be amazing wouldn't it <laughs> yeah i mean there's already been you know sort of increased interest in several of my other books uh, as a result of this already you know and the buzz hasn't really even started yet so yes i imagine that's probably going to be a thing whether any of them will come to anything you know who knows um i don't write with that in mind i never have um partly because ironically because i think you stand you know even if you are writing thinking, oh, somebody will option this. You've got a better chance of them doing that if you write a really good story that fits the medium you're working in rather uh-huh. than trying to write something that you think will make a good movie. Um, so I never write comics or novels with that sort of thought in mind. I never write them thinking, well, I'll write this because this will look great on screen. 
because I think that way madness lies. Um, I just try and write, you know, the best stories I can. I always have done. And hopefully, yeah, if that, you know, results in people saying, oh, actually, we can take this and do something with it, then, you know, by all means, I am all for it. Uh, and so is my accountant. <laughs> Fantastic. And, and and do you have or have you ever had any any aspirations to be a filmmaker yourself? I wouldn't say no. Um, I have written a couple of screenplays myself as pra- that nobody has ever seen as practice, just to sort of sort of get my head around the format and see whether I could do it. Um, and I'm certainly I'm, shall we say interested in and looking at possibilities in television at the moment um but it's not uh, you know and it's i'm probably looking more seriously at television than at features uh if i'm honest well that's that's where it's all at nowadays anyway isn't it well there is that (laughs) but also you know unless you're one of these big um like the mcu or star wars one of the big blockbusters um or a really, really small independent art house film. You know, the, the, the in-between now is is filled with the television landscape, isn't it? It is. And there's also just so much more being made. That's the thing. Like, there are still only a few hundred big Hollywood movies made every year, uh, whereas there are literally hundreds of TV shows and pilots and stuff being made all the time. Mm. At the moment. So, uh, so, yeah, as I say, that's an area that I'm looking at, but I can't really say anything beyond that. Cool. Well, that's exciting. Uh, excellent. Well, uh, thank you so much for, um, you know, coming on and getting involved in our modest little podcast. We do appreciate it. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. It's been fun. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what's the what's the best way that people can uh, find you on social media and, and places like that? Uh, on I am basically my name and I'm going to spell it because people... <laughs> always think they know how to spell it and always get it wrong. So my name is spelled, it's Anthony Johnston, and my name is spelled A-N-T-O-N-Y-J-O-H-N-S-T-O-N. So there's no H in Anthony, and there is a T in Johnston. A-N-T-O-N-Y-J-O-H-N-S-T-O-N. Basically, just look for that as a username on things like Twitter and Facebook, and there I am, Twitter, at Anthony Johnston, facebook.com slash Anthony Johnston. My website, anthonyjohnston.com. This is one of the sole advantage of having a name with unusual spelling is that I can get all these domains and usernames because <laughs> nobody <laughs> else true. has them. Yeah. The disadvantage is that everybody spells it wrong when they try and look me up. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, we, we missed each other a little bit, didn't we? Because of that same mistake. So uh, oh, that's right. Yes. Of course I'd forgot. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I, when, I first, I when I first reached out to you, I, I, put, I, I mistakenly put an H in Anthony and, uh, um, thought oh he's not got back to me and then i tried you for another address and you got back to me like within two minutes and i was like oh wow okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> like yeah there's a reason that email hasn't got through yeah. <laughs> it's because you spelled my name wrong yeah. <laughs> i'd actually forgotten about that i wasn't ragging on you i'd forgotten <laughs> <laughs> i thought you were you see, i thought it was a dig <laughs> and what about your podcasts oh right and uh okay so unjustly maligned is at the incomparable network uh, you can either go to the incomparable.com and find it there, or you can just go to UMP.FM, as in FM radio, UMP.FM for Unjustly Maligned Podcast, UMP.FM. That'll take you directly to it. And Thrash It Out, the metal, heavy metal podcast, is at thrashitoutpodcast.com. Nice and easy. Wow. Excellent. And so, Keith, how can we find your work? Uh, right. Well, uh, if you put in 
my British Isles, E-Y-L-E-S, odd spellings again, uh, into um, uh, YouTube. There are some short films that I've uh, written, produced and directed that you can view on there. And if you want to see other credits for me, if you put my name into IMDb, you can see sort of past, present and future projects there as well. And as always, you can find my work at independentrunnings.com. Uh, you can follow this podcast on uh, Facebook and Twitter. Just search uh, Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. Uh, you can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, YouTube and all other good uh, podcast providers. And uh, please leave us a rating and review. Uh, it all helps. Absolutely. So, um, Anthony, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you're welcome. It's been a, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it has been good, <laughs> and, and and no doubt uh, we often have um, uh, our guests return if they're happy to do so. So uh, you, you know, if another subject comes up, uh, we, we we may may well get you involved in that if if you'd be interested. Absolutely, you never know. And hopefully, we'll talk to you about your film yes. as well. And of course, thank you to you, the listener, for. Uh, for listening so uh, uh, do join us for the next episode of movie heaven movie hell